I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that does for comic book movies what movie brackets have done for film Twitter. I'm Joe Cunningham and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Sir Patrick and James Hunt. We'll discuss the latest comic book movie and TV news before diving into our spoiler-filled discussion of Jack Shoulder's 1996 TV movie, Generation X. Uh, but before any of that... Um, Seb, do you mind? I I need to kind of like leave you out of this segment this week. Okay. Um, it's a James specific question. Uh-oh. Um, yeah. So before any of that, I'm going to ask James to explain to me something that I, I just don't understand. Did we hurt you in some way? <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> what? What? Why have you inflicted? All <laughs> oh, right. This okay. honors. <laughs> Did we did we do something like? Was it when I suggested that Tony Stark could be the Soul Stone? Was it because Seb won the pitch last week? I d- just explain yourself. I mean, in my defence, in 1996, this was quite exciting. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. <laughs> all, all. I mean, obviously, we're going to get onto it, but all I'm going to say is, do you remember that Nick Fury TV movie? That was brilliant, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so I, w- I would like to reassure listeners that I do think it's going to be quite fun to talk about. If you want to go watch this movie, it is on YouTube, but my advice is don't. <laughs> Just- it's, al- it's also, weirdly, um, it's on archive.org. There's actually a better quality download of it. And I say better quality, I mean picture quality. I don't mean the actual content. <laughs> uh, but that is marginally more watchable or possibly less watchable, depending on your point of view. But yeah, I don't know why and I don't know how, but it is available for download as an MP4 on archive.org. Yeah, uh, but as I said, listeners, don't. Just, just don't. We we will explain it all to you, and I'm sure we all have some fun discussing it. But you don't need to watch this movie. I mean, I think really to don't. be fair, I yeah, think I'm... using the phrase "movie" is part of the problem here. But we'll, yeah, we'll yes. get to it. We'll get to it. Uh, Let's do okay, the news and... first. There's a lot of X Men news yeah. as well. The, well, there is a lot of everything news. We've got. X-Men stuff, we've got Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff, we've got DCEU stuff, we've got TV stuff, and we've even got Comics Corner! So, loads of stuff to go through, Um, but we'll start with um, the news at Fox, which 
uh, it's <laughs> it's like we're kind of like stuck in on some kind of merry-go-round, like looking at the same news we saw a couple of weeks ago, but this time more so. Um, <laughs> Fox's New Mutants was originally going to be released on April the thirteenth, twenty eighteen. Uh, it was pushed back, so that's what like. 10 days from probably when you're listening to this podcast. Um, (laughs) It was pushed back 10 months uh, to February of 2019. It's now been delayed again until August the 2nd, 2019. Uh, Reports are suggesting that up to half of the movie is being reshot. So I I know know why this is. Um, They're going to add in Matt Frewer. (laughs) I mean, they, uh, to be fair, they that's have a joke said for Generation X. <laughs> they have said that they're like adding characters to the film, and I just kind of wonder how many characters are they actually adding. So you can do that in a year, <laughs> like that is doable in well, a year. Quite. So, th- so the other half of this, I guess, is that Dark Phoenix has also been pushed back. So Dark Phoenix was going to be released in November this year. Um, it's now been pushed back until February, um, Valentine's Day weekend, which, you know, given that Valentine's Day weekend was the weekend that Deadpool was released and Black Panther was released, that is now kind of like a superhero tentpole spot. So that makes sense for Dark Phoenix. And the, the reports I was reading about Dark Phoenix online were... um, It's actually tested pretty well. The reshoots it's doing are kind of like to beef up the film, make it a bit more spectacular, like, because they think they've got something good on their hands. It didn't seem like doom and gloom. So you wonder, have they just moved New Mutants out of the way of Dark Phoenix? But then they could have moved it out of the way by two or three months to to push it all the way back till August. And August is a bit of a dead zone for movies in terms of the, like the U S calendar anyway. Um, I mean, they could also have moved it up, right? Well, not if you're not if you're reshooting fifty percent no, of the movie yeah, and adding a quite. new character. <laughs> so, James, I mean, you must be just finding this hilarious. You, <laughs> who isn't finding this hilarious at this point? <laughs> who was it? Uh, Seb, was it you who tweeted from our account saying, "At this point, is it just attack flight <laughs> off?" Like, is yeah. <laughs> it, it must be. It, it seems like it's like a producer's esque. <laughs> yeah, like I said, it's going to open with a song called "Springtime for Magneto." So, <laughs> what gets released first, Gambit or New Mutants? Well, Gambit has got a production start date. Well, now, just apparently. before we get to that, well, um, according, according to some, <laughs> yeah, I do. I do want to point out quickly the people who aren't finding this hilarious are Marvel because this month they released a whole like they released a new. New Mutant series and a collection of the Demon Bear storyline, but there's no movie to make the sales go on those, so that's fun for them. No, but maybe maybe this is connected to their corporate overlords at Disney (laughs) buying out 20th Century Fox. (laughs) And actually, the more you delay all of these movies, the more you are able to kind of subtly just push them in the direction that would make sense. Do you know what I think is going to happen? I think New Mutants is going to come out on video on demand. It's going to be on Netflix or something instead of in cinemas. Oh, do you know what? That's not that's not out of the realm of possibility anymore, is nope. it? We saw obviously it happened to Annihilation 
worldwide, apart from in the US. Uh, it happens in Mute as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it would be strange for a superhero movie for that to happen to. Um, but, the, I mean, the cast are kind of like TV level, mostly, I think. Indeed. And apparently it's a horror genre, genre piece, so... Yeah. Yeah. Um, that that could be a great call, James. We might be playing that out six months from now <laughs> when it's been announced that um, Netflix are distributing it worldwide. Um, yeah. So so it's going to be a while until we see that. Um, as Seb mentioned, there's, there's, uh, there are reports out there that Gambit is going to start shooting in June. Uh, does it have a director at the moment? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Because it doesn't exist. <laughs> so I mean, you know, you know, uh, no one wants to believe that movie's happening more than me. <laughs> I just call bullshit at this moment. Like, just, just put him in the last, put Channing Tatum in the post-credit scene of Deadpool, and then stick him in the X Force movie. Just, just <laughs> you've got Channing Tatum. Use him before it all goes tits up, and one of the other studios swoop in and go, "Yes, please." <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll have a scoop of that. Is this going to be like one of those things where like a woman books a church and hires a dress and says, "I'm getting married on this date. I just need to find a husband." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I mean, it's it's all in flux over at Fox, um, and yeah, no X Men Dark Phoenix this year, and no New Mutants for quite a while. So two of the Two of the big superhero releases that we thought we were getting this year, where we aren't any longer. So, um, freeze up our schedule a little bit more <laughs> for, for, for more more quality releases like Generation X. Yeah. <laughs> we, 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 we might get onto Mutant X next. No, what? could it could it be worse? <laughs> Mutant. I think it could probably Mutant X is essentially an X Men TV show that didn't have the X Men license. It doesn't sound worse, <laughs> but it was. I mean, it was a Marvel. It is officially a Marvel thing. Yeah, but they just I couldn't mean, use. They just mutant. couldn't use like the concept of mutants <laughs> or certain versions of the X logo. Uh, so, so was it not? It wasn't Fox then. Is that the thing? Uh, the legal it? stuff surrounding it was very bad, but there were things like the logo couldn't use an X that looked like the X Men logo, which, when it's a letter, <laughs> is quite difficult. And uh, the concept of mutants couldn't be the same as mutants from the Fox movies. And also, none of the characters could be the, the same. I love all of this, uh, w- some weird movie stuff, like the rights side of things. Yeah, well, it was it was, was made it, by was Fox TV, also... and I think Fox TV got sued by Fox movies over it. Yes, which is why it took so long <laughs> to get any X-Men TV shows going. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was Oz the Great and Powerful when that came out that they had the rights to use all of the stuff from the books so they could use kind of like the Wicked Witch of the West <laughs> because she's a character in the Oz books, in the in the Elfrant Bound books. But her skin couldn't be the same shade of green as the MGM movie <laughs> because M- MGM like owned the right to that shade of green. Some loads of weird stuff like that. Amazing. Um, okay, we'll move on to well, our next piece of... Got- Three seasons, mm-hmm. three. Wow, I, I had like no idea. Failed pilot type one. Three seasons. Sorry, 
I know this isn't a Mutant X podcast, but I do feel it's relevant to the thing that we are going to discuss. At some point, it might need to be. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so we'll move on to our next piece of news now, and we're heading over to the MCU because um, Captain Marvel has begun shooting, and uh, Marvel released a press release that told us about a bunch of the people that we knew were already starring in the movie. So we've obviously got Brie Larson as Carol Danvers, we've got Jude Law as Marvell, Gemma Chan as Minerva, uh, Ben Mendelsohn's in there in an unnamed role. Um, but then there were three cast members thrown into the mix who we recognize their names uh, because they've been in MCU movies before. So Lee Pace, Jamon Honsu, and Clark Gregg. <laughs> I was ex- I was I was pleased about all of this. I don't like. I know some people get bummed out by the crossover stuff. Uh, but <laughs> I, I kind of like. I was like. I was like. Oh, I kind of. I kind of like that, especially the Clark Gregness. Because, but I mean, I miss him. I do miss him. If only there was a place we could see him in action again. I t- yeah, I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys think? Um, I, so yeah, R- Ronan the Accuser, Korath was it? Jamon Hansen's character. Yeah. 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 Korath the Pursuer. And, He's going to do some pursuing, Kool, obviously. <laughs> we did. He tried. He tried to do a bit last time, but it didn't work out fantastically yeah, no. for him. I mean, the thing that worries me is that we're going to have to see Clark Gregg get CGI de-aged. Yes, please. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Why not? As long as he doesn't walk around making jokes about like, uh, I hope I don't get stabbed in the back or something. Like, fair enough. <laughs> I, I, I tweeted this out, guys. Um, I mean, Seb, I know you saw because you made a, a witty reply to it. Um, I, when I rewatched Black Pan for the second time, I thought it was very uh, like it stood out to me that they kept pointing out that um, Martin Freeman's character remind me of his name, uh, Everett Ross. Ever- Everett Ross, yeah, with Everett Ross giving him the you know the backstory of being a, a fighter pilot, and um, he gets obviously his like pilot set piece at the end. And I was thinking, like age wise, Martin Freeman, early nineties, you could have Everett Ross in this movie as well, surely. Yeah, like it would make it would make sense for him to know a young Carol Danvers. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, it would. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, I mean, and, and so I was almost like, I was kind of like, when I saw those names, I was like, oh, I wonder if anyone, anyone else in there could be playing a, a young Everett Ross, but not to the best of my knowledge yet, but it will be interesting to see whether that happens. But yeah, I like that young Clark Gregg is there. Um, I think that's going to be funny. We'll see, see how Clark Gregg plays it. And then the Lee Pace, Jamon Honsu stuff. So it's Kree-Skrull War. We know we're definitely seeing that. And... I am hoping that rather that rather than these two characters be big parts in it, they are, you know, just familiar faces to remind us. Because, like, to your general audience, Crees and Scrolls, do they? It doesn't really mean much, does it? But if you can kind of like draw the link back to a movie that a lot of people saw, mm-hmm. it just it just helps flesh out the universe. I do. I do quite like the idea of um, doing Ronan a bit more because I do think that I think that both him as a character and a concept and Lee Pace are capable of more than Guardians gave them to do. <laughs> yeah, and I think he has little moments in Guardians where you can yeah. see that potential. 
I don't so... think he was. When you look at when you look in the Marvel, you know, movie villains. Mm. I mean, Ronan probably sits around the middle. Yeah, and I know he's, he's, he's quite he's middle. Fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I think the the thing that held him back mostly was all of that makeup and like just burying burying him underneath so much that you didn't get much of the Lee Paceness of it. Mm. Um, but we like he, literally he still did his kind of his get his calm mannered delivery, like his slow delivery of things, very deliberate. But his introduction um, scene is literally him putting on like the war paint and the the headdress and all that kind of stuff. And I think, well, if that's let's say that that was the first time he ever wore it, and prior to that, he just looked like a I don't know a blue dude, and that's <laughs> and and that that can be the version of him that we see in this movie. Mm. Um, and Korath, I think it's just it's like his sidekick, right? Just another, yeah. just another Cree to be around. Is he a Cree? Yeah, he's a Cree. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I, 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 I liked all of that. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty psyched for Captain Marvel. Um, Brie Larson in that lead role, and and I think we talked about it a few episodes back, didn't we? The like '90s inspired Terminator Two style action sequences and that kind of thing, and people presumably in disguise shape shifting. Yeah, if if Marvel are doing their own version of T two, then brilliant. <laughs> I can't, I can't wait. Um, I'm, you know, we were trying to speculate about like how they were going to get Captain Marvel from the early nineties to the present day and not aged. Yeah, because uh, they're not going to do like a Steve Rogers freezing thing, are they? That, that because they've done it before. I tell you what, I would like to see, and that's time dilation. But that's because I like time dilation as a plot concept. <laughs> yeah, and that could. Yeah, it's it, it's it's a cool concept and could work quite easily and suit the requirements here. She could be. I'm just thinking, like, just where where does Hawkeye find her to bring her into? Infinity War? That's <laughs> so. I don't think Hawkeye's going. Where does he find world. her? Like central casting, but, where he's right, hanging out to get a new job. Who's who's Hawkeye's best friend now in the MCU? It's Ant Man. What and what's. What they made buddies, didn't they? When he fought him in the back of his car and brought him along to the fight. Oh, in the MCU. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So Ant Ant Man is like, oh, hey, Clint, you want to shrink down and go to the microverse where Captain Marvel's been shrunk for the past twenty years? Why right? would Captain Marvel shrink? Uh, because she gets shrunk in this. No, movie. incorrect. Because they're riffing on early nineties movies, and one of them is Honey, I Shrunk Captain Marvel. Honey, I Shrunk Terminator Two. It doesn't. In yes. which case, this is another film that could be reshot to get Matt Fruber in it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, so that is uh, Captain Marvel news. Um, I'm excited about that. I'm also excited about the latest piece of casting on Wonder Woman 2. Um, Pedro Pascal is joining the cast in an unnamed but key role. Uh, so you guys, uh, I don't know how familiar you'll be with Pedro Pascal. I know he's done lots of different things. I am most familiar with him for being uh, one of the most enduring characters on Game of Thrones. Wasn't around for... He was around for less than a full season, but I think he... Um, he gives one of those like all time memorable performances and he's uh, incredible in it, charismatic and sexy and a cool action hero. He's like, he's got an Inigo Montoya vibe. Um, and so sticking him into, into Wonder Woman 2, I'm 
happy about that. I just hope that he's not playing a baddie. Oh, uh, he was the guy who that thing happened to. Yes. <laughs> the reason you should never watch Game the, of Thrones. Like, li- literally, yeah, the reason why my sister texted me and said never watch Game of Thrones was because of what happened <laughs> to this character. Now I really want to know yeah. what happened. <laughs> no. Well, we'll, t- well, I'll tell you I'll tell you off my Okay, he was also Eddie in one episode of Buffy. <laughs> in the episode The Freshman. Sure. Um so is there anyone just from I mean I presume you've seen what Pedro Pascal looks like um he's a he's a Chilean actor is he going to be connected to the cheetah oh sorry cheetah he is going to be the male cheetah what is a male cheetah just there was a, we mentioned there had, there had been a male version so they're just going to do a and and is the male version also bad <laughs> yeah, yeah he's yeah. still a still a villain yeah uh, I was hoping he wouldn't be a villain. He's going to be killed off after not... one scene. Oh no! But they said key role. It was reported as like a key role. Yeah, oh, because key... he'll die, and then key, like... the other cheetah will take his place. So, you, can you pronounce it correctly, please, James? Cheetah. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so so maybe it's not that exciting, but I just like Pedro Pascal. Now he's going to be in Wonder Woman too. Actor I like in movie. I'm looking forward to. Sign me I'm just up. gonna Google. I'm just gonna Google Pedro Pascal death scene. Uh, no, yeah, not. <laughs> we don't have the time for that now, James. Oh God, why? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we'll move on now to something else. Um, almost comically violent. Um, Deadpool. Uh, but we're not talking about the movie this time. We're talking about the animated series that was in. Um in the works at FX. Um, it was Donald Glover and his brother, Stephen Glover, were going to be working on it. Um, but news came through earlier this week that the show was being canned. Um, and Donald Glover took to Twitter and kind of posted a meta script page that was like talking about Deadpool getting can- cancelled and kind of lashing out at FX. And then his brother said something about how the, the network wanted to do a Taylor Swift episode of the show. And it sounds like it's been pretty acrimonious. Um, it, it rather makes you think that um, maybe um, Aaron is not going to be in Spider-Man Homecoming 2. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why? <laughs> well, because he's, like, torn into Marvel. Well, no, he's torn, he's torn into, into FX, into, I think. Yeah, into FX. Mm, he's, he's, he's torn into Marvel as well. He, okay. He, it has the line, all I said was Marvel was trying to sell toys to seven-year-old boys and 50-year-old paedophiles. <laughs> I didn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> the scripts had been taken down before I got the chance to read it. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, that's funny, though. That is funny. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that. Uh, but yeah, so, I, I mean, I, I'm i sure Donald Glover's career is going to be fine. Um, I'm sure his career is going to be fine, but... Um, but yeah. maybe not. <laughs> I, I, he'll see, I mean, I, I would keep him around in the MCU because he's Donald Glover and he's an important figure in Spider-Man lore now. He just, he just is. It's, it's inescapable. You can't 
talk about Miles Morales without talking about Donald Glover. Miles is very uh, real life uh, fans of the movie. Marvel is very happy to recast anyone. <laughs> so, <laughs> Terence Howard. There we go. Yep. As in, he could play Aaron Davis, not that they recast. <laughs> um, are you are, are you sad to hear that this Deadpool series isn't coming? Nah. I, to be, I, I, I will hold my hands up and admit that until I discovered that it wasn't happening, I didn't even know it was supposed to be happening. This had managed to completely pass me by. I had no idea Donald Glover was supposedly doing a Deadpool animated series. We've never talked about it on this podcast. I think we have. Maybe it was, maybe it was on a minisode before, before we switched the format. But I'm, I'm pretty sure we talked. No, about I still it. listen to those, Joe. I'm the only one who listens to every episode. <laughs> I, I well, I listen to them when I'm editing them. I just don't listen to them <laughs> after they're edited because three times would be too much. And James never <laughs> um, listens to them at all. I think being on them once is more than enough. <laughs> and so say all of us. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I, I was kind of on board with this because of the Donald Glover of it all, and it sounds like they wanted to do something uh, a bit quirky and different. And if anyone's seen Atlanta, you'll know that that is very much within. Donald Glover's wheelhouse to go off and like do uh, strange, ambitious things within what seems like a, a straightforward concept, and obviously Deadpool gives you license to go off and do lots of crazy things. I saw that Donald Glover kind of referenced Rick and Morty and kind of said that we felt like with this show we could have given Rick and Morty a run for its money. So, I mean, it, I, from FX's point of view, right, they must be. Uh, gutted that they can't get it off the ground because if Rick and Morty's your comparison point, it that's a that's a huge hit. You combine that kind of sensibility with the popularity of Deadpool, and Deadpool seems like a character who would fit into an animated world better than most superheroes. Yeah, I mean to be fair though, if you're making a cartoon, of course you're going to say we think we could have given this phenomenal successful cartoon a run for its money. <laughs> Like when they made Futurama, they were saying we can probably give The Simpsons a run for its money, and I prefer Futurama, broadly speaking. But you know that's what they were aiming for. That's not what they hit. Yeah, but I just I I think from FX's point of view that I they must be. I I, I don't I think it's you know a bigger loss for them than it is for Donald Glover. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but also I, I, I could, I could, I'm not going to lose could... any sleep over it. No, I, I could. What I'm saying is, I could have. I could have imagined a world where the Deadpool animated show was one of the biggest hits on <laughs> yeah. TV. I can imagine a world where the Deadpool animated show was boring the shit out of everyone on the internet for the next ten years. <laughs> Definitely, I can imagine that world. <laughs> okay, uh, so so that's uh, Deadpool animated series dead, um, and now we move over to Comics Corner. Um, <laughs> that's with two Ks. Comics Corner. <laughs> I think for t- today as well, we should probably spell comics with an X. <laughs> um, so, guys, uh, as we record today, um, there was a big announcement over at Marvel, and it was something that I think a lot of people were expecting, uh, but maybe the details and the specifics around it people weren't expecting. So, Seb, I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, Marvel are doing a Fallout comic. This has just gone over your heads, hasn't it? It definitely gone over my head. Okay, so so Marvel teased this announcement with an image of a uh, a test card, um, like a kind of retro black and white test <laughs> oh, card I with missed Marvel that. characters on it. And um, Digital Spy reported on this by saying that by wondering what it was all about, 
and saying that the that the image that had been used resembled a video game loading screen um Ugh. and that possibly that it was it, that fans were speculating online that the imagery resembled the imagery from the fallout games so maybe marvel were about to announce some kind of crossover with fallout this this is the uh, danger is a, of not understanding your fucking references this is a this is a, a television website not knowing not recognizing a piece of television yeah, to be fair it's digital spy <laughs> Let's, well, you still, know. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, not to just completely rag on Digital Spy because they weren't the only place doing it. They were just the place I saw doing it. But Seb, um, I, I feel like we're burying the lead. Here. <laughs> new Fantastic Four <laughs> comic. Everyone, everyone knows by now. Fantastic Four are coming back in a new comic by Dan Slott and Sarah Pacelli. Um which, which is an interesting team, right? It is. Um, I mean, if I only knew Dan Slott for his Spider-Man stuff... Um, then I would be going, hmm. Um, but I think I think you can look at Dan Slot on Iron Man as Spider-Man Dan Slot is doing Iron Man, and hopefully it's Silver Surfer Dan Slot doing Fantastic Four because that would be a pretty perfect fit if he brings that level of imagination and ideas um, along with it. If he's got any left, um, brings it along to Fantastic Four, then that's an interesting fit. I think a lot of people probably wanted to see Al Ewing do it. I think Al Ewing would be a good fit. I think, though, Marvel needed to announce something like this with really big names on it. Yeah, and with the greatest respect, don't Marvel want Fantastic Four? Wasn't the issue with Fantastic Four for a, for a long time that the sales had just mm. fallen off and no one cared about Fantastic Four yeah, the way that the they thing. cared this about is... Marvel's other... The, the uh, I, I kind of want to rebut that perception slightly because Hickman's Fantastic Four sold pretty well and was critically acclaimed. It was more just, like, admittedly, it didn't do gangbusters like it's going to do now. Well, that that's, that's it was what the I mean, cancellation it? was more internal politics related to the films. No, than... but also Hickman Hickman had long gone by then because it was yeah fractions run after that, which yeah, I think... but I wasn't yeah I wasn't yeah, but that was like a year or two it, it, after. I was I wasn't suggesting it had been cancelled because uh, because of sales, but there was certainly the perception that Fantastic Four had once been one of the premier titles and wasn't any longer. And surely, if you're bringing back the Fantastic Four. After a gap, after a gap where they haven't been, the characters haven't been around, then you do it with some fanfare and you try and get them back up to that point. Oh yeah, definitely. Where, I mean, they did where this... they do stand alongside Spider Man and Iron Man. They did this with you... Thor in the nineties, in the nineties, yeah. and you or uh, early noughties, two thousands. Yeah. yeah, and you can't. You, you're not realistically a comic written by Al, Al Ewing is probably not going to appeal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the, yeah, the kind no, of... he's, he's not a name that would sell it. That's why, like I say, you know, from a from a storytelling point of view, I think he could really do... You'd only have to look at Ultimates to see what he could do with Fantastic But also, also but... is he like an interesting storyteller who maybe his stuff is more appeals more to a niche audience mm. than Dan Slotts does? Yeah, no, this is this is this is all what I'm saying. Yes, yeah, um, you know, he he would be a good fit in that sense, but you know, the, it would not made a, have made a splash in the same way. And this announcement is about making a splash by saying. And actually, one of the things that I like about it is that it shows that Marvel are treating Sarah Pacelli as an A-list artist because they haven't seemed to do that, even though she patently is. So you know, as I say, I, I think certainly for, from my point of view, the excitement over this is as much about her involvement as Dan Slott's because I think she's an amazing artist. Only the second um, woman to draw the Fantastic Four or something. Who was the first? 
Uh, you've put me on the spot there. <laughs> you can't come armed with a half fat. Like you've got to have the full fat. <laughs> I, I forget the name. It wasn't a creator I recognise. I'll Google it. Um, so my question is, I assume Marvel haven't released any kind of details of how they're doing this, but you're not just going to bring the Fantastic Four back and just say, hey, hey, here they are. Here's a new comic. They have to, like, there has to be some well, kind of, like, big big return for them. Yeah, really, what's, what's interesting is that they've been doing Marvel 2-in-1, which is the Human Torch and Ben Grimm thing book, which Chip Zdarsky's doing. And Chip Zdarsky has already said on Twitter that, yes, he's known about this for a while and it's been planned and stuff that he's doing in his book is supposed to be leading up to this. And his book's going to continue when Fantastic Four comes back as well. <laughs> right. um, we'll see about that. <laughs> it might continue for a bit. It Rem- will continue in the way that Miles Morales' Spider-Man continued yeah. when Marvel merged the universe. Five issues, then it's finished. Um, Ramona Freden was the other female okay. no, artist of Fantastic Four. Yeah. Fantastic Four issue one hundred and thirty-three. Do you do you think I have any uh, justification in worrying that they will? bring that back the Fantastic Four and they'll just kind of be there and then we'll have to wait 20 to 30 issues to figure out how they came back, what they, what, what's what been going on while they've been gone. And well, do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? The thing is, it, there's not... I we mean, know where they've been, yeah, technically. Yeah, and two of, two of them are and two already of them are around. Still around. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, I um, think the story will be them reuniting and that will yeah. be the first arc. All, all you have to do is... Oh, Reed and Sue and Franklin and and um, Valeria. Valeria, Valeria. I know he said Valerian. Um, have come out of the, the little universe pocket universe thing or whatever it is. Didn't Valerian, Franklin and Valerian. Franklin and Valerian. It's is there is Marvel's big hook around this this relaunch? Is it just it's just back to basics with the characters you like headlining comics and. Beyond that, there isn't any... It's not like DC Rebirth where they came and went, boom, look at this stuff that we're going to slowly explore over the next four or five years of storytelling. It's just Marvel going, now, look, here's your Avengers, here's your Fantastic Four, here's your X-Men, your Iron Man, your Thor, all the ones that you that you know and love and remember, and we'll just start telling stories with them again. Yeah, I mean, Marvel have been doing this thing lately where they're, you know... Their plan was to move away from the classic versions and do, you know, Jane Foster Thor and yeah. um, Armadeus Cho, Doctor, Incredible Hulk. Or Doctor Doom, Iron Man. or Yeah, exactly. Any, lots of Falcon, Captain America. Yeah, so all that stuff. I think this is now the, okay, we've told those stories. Let's, We're going back to let's go back to the original formula for a bit. Yeah. And it goes in cycles, you know, it'll happen and then it will happen differently later on. Fair enough. On... Just back on the subject of the Fantastic Four specifically, um, I think if we'd had a bit more time um, to prepare, we could have potentially uh, dialed in um, our chum Stephen Lacey of the Fantastic Cast to to talk about this a bit. But as I suggest, if anyone wants to hear a bit more about the Fantastic Four from a possibly more informed point of view than those of us who none of whom really like the Fantastic Four that much, <laughs> <Hey>. then <laughs> I will read this. No, I'll read this. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm just saying right. though. In terms of the overall context of the history of Fantastic Four comics and what it may mean, um, you know, 
it's not like it's the x-men coming back i will i will definitely listen to the fantastic cast to find out what steve yeah. that's what that's what i'm, I'm saying company you know, think. The, the, yeah. yeah the the their podcast the fantastic cast um go and have a listen if you want to hear people talking more knowledgeably than us about the fantastic four i, I would like to point out at this juncture that i've bought the fantastic four comic a lot i even bought mark miller's run <laughs> I, I i know the writer who completed that run <laughs> <laughs> when mark miller got bored of it um, I mean, I, I would also say, uh, from the g- kind of general standard of recommendations that I got on the on the podcast, I enjoyed my Fantastic Four comics more than I enjoyed a lot of others. Definitely more than the X Men. I mean, <laughs> I feel like you're baiting me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's punishment, bearing in mind the <laughs> appalling X-Men related property that we are about to discuss. You both, you also, both know that I never true. engage with haters. I, it is also true that I I just, I enjoyed generally reading the Fantastic Four stuff, so I enjoyed all the Ultimate stuff and the um, the bit of Hickman that I read, and yeah. The, um, the, the, to me, the, the Lee Kirby stuff is the Lee Kirby stuff that holds up best as well. That was, and I read a bit of that, didn't I, with Black Panther and Claw <laughs> and uh, um, and the little people in the city. In hu- oh, it was the Inhumans, wasn't it? Was it the Inhumans? I think, yeah, I think it was there. Was it the Inhuman City? I can't remember. Could have been the Moloids. I don't think it was them. Who knows? Who knows? I read Fantastic <laughs> Four. I liked it. I'm going to read this as well. Uh, when it comes out later in the year. Uh, but that's it for our um, new section. <sighs> we will move on now to um, our spoiler-filled discussion of the 1996 movie Generation <laughs> X. Um, uh, Seb, do you just want to cut the entire movie in here from YouTube? <laughs> I wonder if there is a trailer. I haven't. No, there is a trailer. There's certainly there's a 30-second there's a trailer on YouTube. Right, okay, uh, listeners, uh, stay tuned for that. Tonight, Fox presents a world premiere motion picture from the creators of the hit comic book series, The X-Men, comes Generation X. They've got the power. They've got the technology. They're the new generation of superheroes. And they're coming. <laughs> to save the world. You can't win. Any some help out here, God! Get ready for Generation X on the Fox Tuesday Night Movie. Okay, so that was uh, some semblance of a trailer for the 1996 TV movie Generation X. Um, and... Okay, this is the first thing I want to quibble. Yeah. It's unfair to call this a movie. <laughs> it's not a movie, it's a TV pilot. It's, it's it... a pilot that was then broadcast as a TV movie. It's a failed pilot is what it is. Yeah. <sighs> it's, it's, it definitely fails. <laughs> I mean, but ultimately, this is all that that ends up of it. And do you know? I mean, I don't think it, it. It doesn't. I mean, like it, it. It feels like it can just exist as this and end. It doesn't feel like you needed <laughs> more episodes of this afterwards. I mean, well, Fox this is, clearly felt the same way. This is like this is. The, I want to get kind of get this out of the way. What I think is the strangest thing about this, which is that it's this weird spiritual partner to the Doctor Who TV movie because the Doctor Who TV movie was also broadcast by Fox in 1996 
it was a pilot that didn't go to series and ever since has been referred to as a TV movie. And they both share a prop, <laughs> uh, which is the weird um, spiky crown thing that gets put on Skin's head near the end. Uh, is right. also at one point um, the Doctor is forced to wear that by the Master in the TV movie. Also, there's a bit in this that I'm fairly certain they've just straight up stolen the time vortex effect from Doctor Who and used that. <laughs> um, but it's weird. I think some of the same people were even involved in the production of both. Um, it's just really bizarre that <laughs> there's this other Vancouver shot um, <laughs> Fox TV movie from 1996. <laughs> Does the Doctor Who movie have better production values than this? Yes, the production values are one of the best things about the Doctor Who TV movie, but you have to bear in mind that that's in comparison to uh, BBC made Doctor Who pre-1989. So a 1996 American TV movie that actually had a really talented director, a guy called Jeffrey Sachs. Um, It looked fantastic. It really did. You know, If you compared it to other American TV movies, it probably looked like them. But um, no, it's a, the, the Doctor Who TVM is, is great looking. It's one of the things that's best about it. This does not uh, look <laughs> quite no. as good. I think the, the you know the joke in Deadpool where they get to the X Mansion. It's like ah, so it's like you almost like you couldn't afford more mutants. That's 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 this movie where they there couldn't are... even afford to do the mutants that they had. In, yeah, in oh, fairness, weird. right? In fairness, this is taking place at the Massachusetts Academy. Where no, it's there not. Are... no, it's not. No, it's Xavier not. That's one, of the, that's one of the dumbest things about this film. This is the Xavier School. The concept... No, 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 no. They literally say Xavier School. Yeah, yeah twice. But that's that's because they moved the school to the Massachusetts Academy in the comics, and that's this version of that. No, it's no because, because Generation X, the comic, is it's an offshoot of Xavier's run by Emma and Banshee. But yeah. this this is not an offshoot. This is they are now in they are in charge of Xavier's school. It's called Xavier's school. It is the Yeah, it's called Xavier's, Xavier's school. school in the comics. No, it's not. It's the Massachusetts Academy. Or whatever. Th- they changed the comic to the Xavier Institute for Higher Learning and moved the school for gifted youngsters to the Massachusetts Academy, which Emma owned. Right. You're putting more thought into this than the movie he did. <laughs> I mean, I'll you know I will bow to your superior knowledge of <laughs> the ins and outs of stupid nineties X Men continuity. I'll I'll give you that. Listen, right? But... So they dr- they drive up they drive up to a, a, a big mansion house, which is run. I by mean, admittedly, two, two right? teachers who are mutants, and there are five six students who are mutants, and there is yeah, a which, vil- a villain which... who's not a mutant, and then they are fighting in a dream world which i'm not sure has anything to do with x-men but it probably does have something to do with the director having directed nightmare on elm street 2 freddy's dead um it also has weird similarities with something else that matt frewer did that year which is lawnmower man 2 beyond cyberspace oh goodness (laughs) me what a cv (laughs) I mean, basically, I just I I want to excuse it for having like five characters because up until this point in the comics, every X mansion had only had like the main characters in. It wasn't until Grant yeah, Morrison think... turned up and it became an, an actual working school. So I I, we... I I agree that the idea of um a Xavier school 
or whatever you want to call it that only has like five or six mutant students is not necessarily something to hold against this because 1960s x-men that's literally what that was um i think the issue is more that this is a movie that is trying to do superpowered characters and even within the limited <laughs> frame of the characters that it's chosen and the changes that it's made to those characters to try and make them achievable on screen and it still doesn't manage to do that either. yeah are these that's, are these all fair. real are these all real x-men <laughs> buff and refracts are not real x-men but they okay. but they're all their their names are the names of other characters aren't like they're uh, uh i think there was a buff i don't think there's ever been a refrax. no no sorry but as in but um refrax isn't kurt pistorius the name of a different character right guys bear in mind that our listeners have not watched this movie let's let's go through the characters and kind of like give a bit of context so uh the villain of this movie who we and meet I'm in the opening scene is called <laughs> russell trash Played by Matt Thrower, as you as you referenced three or four times already, Seb. So Russell Tresh, is he an X Men villain? Is he a character? No, he's from no. Batman Forever. <laughs> is Matt Thrower in Batman Forever? What's... No, but Matt Matt Thrower in all right, I was gonna get into this in more detail later. Matt Thrower in this film is spending the entire film doing an impression of Jim Carrey in Batman mm. Forever. That's well, clearly clearly what he has been directed to do and what he's doing. And we can get into the fact that Matt Frewer was doing Jim Carrey before Jim Carrey because I was that's about kind to say, true. Surely but, he's doing Max Headroom, right? No, he is. But this specific performance is even more so and is so obviously inspired by Batman Forever. But anyway. <laughs> So Matt Frewer's in it. Yeah. So and he plays he plays the villain who is uh who is not a mutant. No. Uh, then the X, the Xavier School is run by Emma Frost, played by Fanola Hughes, and Sean Cassidy, who is Banshee, right? Yeah. yeah. And he's Obviously played by Jeremy you know you know Ratchford. Yeah. Yes. So I'm I'm aware of those characters. Oh, interesting though, though, I went into this movie not knowing which X Men were in it. So mm. I, I just I think the only one that I really had any idea about was was Jubilee. Uh, so yeah, Jubilation Lee, Jubilee, played by Heather McComb. Yeah. Um, who is kind of one of the two mutants who arrives at the school. They're kind of like our POV characters, mm. uh, along with Angelo Espinosa slash Skin, yeah. played by Ag- so Agustin Rodriguez. He, so he is, is he... from Generation X. Yeah, I've just, just looking at I have got the, those two characters. I have got, I misread something and I thought that, because they were substitutes for other characters, I thought their names had been kept, but they hadn't. They're just straight up replacements for characters that aren't used from the original Generation X lineup. Okay, so they were in they were in the they were in Generation X. No, so 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 Buff and Refrax are completely original to this film. I mean, original in inverted commas, but um, <laughs> you know they don't exist in the comics except for the fact that one of them is a shit Cyclops. But um, but the others are are all um, so if you want to run through the others, but they are all members of the original Generation X. So there's team. there's Mondo who is like a muscly guy. Yeah. Is that right? No. Uh, what's Mondo's power? Mondo, oh, he Mondo's, Mondo's, Mondo's power. power is that he can take on the physical properties of things that he's touching. So he can so he's, become he's like, like wood or stone. He's like the Absorbing Man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think Kurt Pistorius, that is, that's, that's Refrax. That's Refrax. And he's like Cyclops, except less cool and also... They all have kind of telepathic powers on top of their main powers. Yeah, and he has like his vision. His powers are like X-ray powers, so 
he has like energy and also x-ray vision from his x-ray eyes but yeah, yeah. they also all have the, the the big thing of this film is that being a mutant also means that you're a bit psychic yeah uh, which to be fair is canon okay fair um then there is uh arlie hicks played by suzanne davis um i can't remember her mutant name she, she's buff. buff she's buff and she and she's and an she original. is buff she's she's a yeah that's it she's just really muscly yeah in in one scene in in the most ridiculous <laughs> moment in the entire film well, I mean, this is we'll a stiff competition. <laughs> no, I know, and then, but even, yeah. Uh, to be fair, like, I think Buffy is the one character in this film. Yeah, no, yeah. I would agree with that, yeah. But, absolutely. but also laughably executed in terms of how they decide to present that character. Yeah. Uh, and then we've got uh, Monet Saint-Croix, uh, slash M. Yeah. Um, and she's the one who's, like, barely in it she's like part of the group but she's yeah. most of the time she's not actually there yeah she like her version of the character is very different from the comics and also she's being played in this by someone who i think was like a pop star she's being played by amaryllis yeah who i don't, I don't know who she is but at, at the point this came out she was the most famous person in the movie right okay <laughs> i think matt frewer was the most famous person in oh yeah movie, okay yeah sorry honest. Okay, um, so guys, I was I was taking notes on my phone like throughout the first maybe half hour of this movie, <laughs> and I just I just thought I'd read them out to you and like by extension the audience to kind of like give you a, an idea of what's going on. And as I said, I, th- this is one of the few films that we'll ever get to on this podcast where I kind of know almost nothing going in. So here we go. We've got bad Doctor Man, blonde lady makes some paper blow. Uh, kid goes to Xavier school. He's Mr. Fantastic. Bad Doctor Man now working in quotes free market mind control. He's playing. He's playing Jim Carrey? Question mark. <laughs> Girl in leather. Uh, well, uh, yellow leather dra- jacket. That's either Freddie Mercury or Jubilee. She makes sparkles, so it's still unclear. Blonde lady is also British now and booby. There's also an Irishman. No rights. Mutant assimilation camp. This is a bit more like it. Dream Dimension, Doorway to Dream Dimension, <laughs> quotes, free market omnipotent super being. He wants to create the Oasis, question mark. They're making Jubilee strip, question mark. Spike from Buffy is on this team and they're all jerks. His, super, his superpower is being a pervert, question mark. Why has one just given the other an epic nipple twist, question mark. Now they're dropping A's references and someone's reading Fong and Muscle magazine. What the fuck is going on in this movie? <laughs> and I stopped after that because I was like, what? Gave up trying to yeah, what's, what's of it? Yeah, yeah uh, well, that maybe Slash gave up watching. Just opened opened I mean, some of the lap- tabs on my laptop. One, like, one, of the, one of the things that you mentioned there is what I think is the biggest problem with this film. I don't think the biggest problem... That they're all assholes. Yeah. That they're all assholes. Yeah, I don't just the biggest problem with the film is that it's got bad production values or no budget because we've we've talked about films like that before and we've enjoyed them. Um, You know, it's not that it changes things from the comics, although there's one thing that it changes that I think is unforgivable, I think everybody knows about, (laughs) which we'll go into in in more detail, which is a shame because it would otherwise be one of the best things about the film, but you can't look past the terrible thing. Uh, But yeah, the fact that they are all shit i do you know except with the possible like, except except buff. for buff except buff yeah. you don't like any of these characters and especially the two guys 
like Mondo, who's just turned. He's in the comics. He's Samoan, but he's just turned into this appalling jock, African American yeah. stereotype. Like I'm pretty sure the, that portrayal of that character is pretty racist because it's like, you know, he's this kind of black jock guy who's just. I mean, he is awful, and he has no redeeming features at all. But Refrax, there's this turn in the second half of the film where you're supposed to like root for him in this romantic storyline with Buff, <laughs> but it doesn't. It never addresses the fact that earlier in the film he has referenced the fact that he sexually assaulted her at one point. <laughs> mm. It's just and and that he plans to um, like as soon as he gets his, his as soon as his superpowers properly manifest, he plans to look at all of the girls through their clothing. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, 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 that, and that's got... on the back of that weird that weird scene with Jubilee. So when Jubilee first arrives yeah. at the mansion, uh, so she's been taken away. Her like, as far as she knows, her parents have just abandoned her. She's been taken by Emma Frost and Banshee to the X Mansion again. Banshee not a complete arsehole. Emma Frost definitely a complete arsehole. Um, uh, but but still, not in not in the fun way that Emma Frost no, does not in, in the, the comics. <laughs> no, and I would say like what this film is crying out for is a Nick Fury. It's crying mm. out for a Hasselhoff esque performance that acknowledges. I mean, I th- how silly I think, everything I think going Finola on is. Finola Hughes is is pretty good, certainly compared <sighs> to most of the cast in what she's given. No. It's just what she's given is quite terrible. <laughs> I, I, they I, said, no. they gave her like the the Nick Fury yeah like costume. <laughs> In that yeah. it's completely ridiculous and over the top, but yeah. she did not work with it. <laughs> but yeah, you're, I mean, they're, they're just they're just all and like and, and irre- skin. irredeemably bad people. Again, like he's obviously supposed to be like the sympathetic way in character in in the same way that that Jubilee is, but he's possibly he's so bad. Like he's just a creep and weird and yeah. Like you know. so, oh, so that's that's what I was about. Sorry, that's what I was about to reference. Off the coming off the those like jokes around uh, Refrax looking through the girl's clothes and sexually assaulting one of them is coming off the back of the scene where. Hey, folks! I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
Jubilee is introduced. She's just been taken away from her parents. She's brought into the X-Mansion. And then for no reason that is justified in the plot, um, Emma Frost says, oh, uh, can you go stand over there and take all your clothes off? And she's like, uh, no. Uh, and Banshee goes, but you, you, you have to because the machine needs to scan you. <laughs> and then she goes, oh, all right then. And so then there's a scene where an underage character takes her shirt off and, like, obviously the camera doesn't show you anything, but it doesn't really look away either. It's it's creepy. And then, like, there's a point of, like, skin looking over and kind of, like, you know, getting a quick glance while he can. Mm. And it's just, I mean, like, I don't know whether what they were going for was, oh, should we trust Emma Frost and Banshee? Are they actually good? Like, is that was that whether that was something that the show was trying to play with? But I think it was more like director of exploitation horror wants to get his exploitation in. <laughs> yeah, but for a Fox TV pilot, <laughs> I mean, they hired him for a reason, right? Yeah, and it, 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 I mentioned that he had, he had directed the second Nightmare on Elm Street movie, which, from my memory of having watched all of those, is one of the pretty bad ones. But one of the good ones that follows it up, the best one, actually, is Dream Warriors. Um, and this, to me, felt like, in its final act, was was reaching for Dream Warriors, but didn't have any of the kind of, like, spunky personalities or the kind of, like... <laughs> um, uh, narrative imagination that Dream Dream Warriors has because when this movie goes into a dream world, the best thing it can come up with is, oh, what if we make them fart when they wake up? Oh, God. <laughs> That's an actual plot point in this movie. Uh... <laughs> uh, yeah, so so all of these kids are bad people. That's what that's what we were saying, Seb. All of them are bad people. <laughs> the adults aren't much better. And so it becomes very hard to root for any of them. I mean, ba- Banshee's okay, but Banshee has a bigger problem than not being likeable. <laughs> Are we talking about his accent? Sure, and I hope you're considering the future, Mr. Eastwood. It's like he, <laughs> like he has been taking lessons. <laughs> Amazing. So I've just dropped a killer Bass of Future reference, if anyone didn't uh, <laughs> if anyone didn't catch on to that one. Uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely the, the Leah Thompson slash David Boreanaz school of Irish accents. <laughs> Which is great as well, better? because he had already played the voice of Banshee on the X-Men 92 animated series. Oh, really? That's yeah. amazing. Well, who, presume... who the hell saw him do that character once and thought, let's hire him to do it again? <laughs> um do we want to do we want to talk about the the really egregious thing that you were referring to yeah let's i mean it's the thing people mostly talk about when i was gonna say that's the thing that most people will remember about this film yeah is that they took jubilee who was a prominent chinese x-men character and cast her using a white american actress Mm. i mean in fairness actually quite good yeah like in fairness, Heather McComb is probably the best actor out of the kids, and and out of the adults, and out of the adults, yeah. <laughs> and in the comics, uh, sorry, in the cartoon show, it was not immediately clear from the way Jubilee was drawn that she was Chinese. So I can sort of see how they might 
have glossed over that as being a major part of the and it, character. And, it, and it's not like Lee is a, a Chinese name or anything. Yeah, well... Well, I can't, yeah. yeah, it is. No, but it is, but... You, it, it is, it, but it could not be. Like, no, there are yeah. non-Chinese people called Lee. <laughs> yeah. Like like Rob, like Rob Lee. The fo- yeah. yeah, from the new Newcastle football. It's funny, uh, Joe, because I, I was thinking about this earlier and I was, I was trying to think of, like, uh, people white people whose no surname was Lee who it's not a, a stage name like Stanley and Rob Lee was the first one that I thought of as well <laughs> Christopher Lee wait is that yeah, a stage that's, name that's, uh, that's I don't think that's but, his real name I mean uh, no it is regardless it is. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway what so I always know. wonder with with these kind of things obviously we're, we're looking at the movie more than 20 years on and kind of say and and saying how disappointing that is. I would imagine that this was something that people spoke about at the time as well, within within kind of people who knew <laughs> As someone anyway. who was in X-Men fandom at the time, I can say, yes, they definitely did talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of weird, right? Because Jubilee as a character is a Chinese mutant who shoots fireworks out of her hands. Yeah. <laughs> so in that sense, you're not really working from, I would say, the least problematic place no. that you could be. But also, it's a fairly big oversight. And you can see how they came to the idea like, oh, you know, Jubilee's the most popular character in this film. She needs to be our entry point. We need to cast a big actress. We don't have a big Chinese actress who could play the part. But it's it's a bad excuse for how they arrived there, no matter how they got there. You could have... Uh... You could have just cast a bigger actor in one of the other parts. I mean, well, like, exactly. Yeah, uh, I'm sure they could have found a, a Chinese American because they've got they've you know they've got minorities in other roles. Yeah, and I mean, part of the idea of the Generation X team was that, like the or you know the '70s X-Men team was that it was a diverse cast. Can like you, they um... had a Hawaiian and they had uh, a Brit and they had. Uh, american chinese girl and they had uh monet is algerian so you know they had a big big range of people can you talk about generation x as a concept because i i mean i often get (laughs) i thought you'd never ask (laughs) i often get muddled with all of the different x-men teams so i'm aware of like the kind of the classic team that claremont introduced and you know like a lot of the characters that cycled in and out of that i think that's where most of my x-men knowledge lies i'm aware vaguely of the new mutants i'm aware vaguely of uh Mm x-force and excalibur um and what was the one that uh they did this that that Cyclops went off and formed like X in the Factor. early nineties. X Factor, yeah. So, so I'm also aware of X Factor. Generation X, I think, is a complete blind spot to me. So you can kind of like you know talk me through this from from start to finish because I've no idea what it is. Okay, so the original concept of the X Men is teenage mutants learning to use their powers in a school. Mm-hmm. You, and... just said, you saying the word teenage mutants just triggered something else in my brain. <laughs> I suspect everybody else listening as well. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, we should do, we should do another one of them again soon. Yeah, definitely. Um, so what happens is when uh, Chris Claremont brought back the X Men as the kind of like multicultural, uh, you know, all new version, um, 
there was a gap in the market for teenage superheroes. So they created new new mutants to be essentially the X-Men in training book. Mm-hmm. Flash forward like 10 years, your X-Men in training have all become too old and been cycled into the regular cast of X-Men. And so yeah. they did what they tend to do every 10 years, which is they created the new X-Men in training book. And in this case, it was Generation X. Uh, later on down the line, there was another New Mutants book. Then there was Young X-Men. So like, this New is something Mutants, that happens. New Mutants that, turned up late 80s, did it? And then Generation yeah. X was early 90s? Yeah, yeah. New, Generation X was basically, imagine New Mutants, but with a different name so that Scott Lobdell can have credit for creating <clears> it. <laughs> well, no, it was a delightful pun on the popular well, too, demographic. But... <laughs> I just, I, I just, I found it weird. I found it weird watching the film where it opens with the credit, um, you know, based on the the Marvel Comics concept by Scott Lobdell and Chris Bacalo, and it's like, I guess it's technically true, but also. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, so I watched Reality Bites a couple of weeks ago, and that's that's Gen X in the nineties. So, uh, like, what's uh, was it literally just that they were like, okay, we've got. Um, we've got a name here that has cultural relevance and also, hey, it's got X in it so we can make it an X-Men title. Or was was there supposed to be some kind of generational thing about... Were they supposed to be Gen Xers as mutants? I mean, not really, because I think most of them were technically Gen Y anyway. It, right, w- okay. it was just like, there's a pun here for the taking, yeah. let's use it. And it is just Fair basically enough. like, here's a new X-Men team with teenagers in the 90s rather than teenagers in the 80s or teenagers in the 60s. Yeah, and in fairness, yeah. like, as as a comic, there's nothing wrong with Generation X. It's, for the most part, it's pretty good. Certainly, but, in, the, certainly in the early years. Um, so does, does anything define it other than, like, it is, it is a comic with a new, younger team? Or is, is there anything particular the about The only thing them? that really sets it apart is that, it, as we've said, it was set at the Massachusetts Academy rather than the X-Mansion. So that it was Emma Frost? Uh, it was Emma it was Frost Emma and Banshee, Banshee. not okay. Professor X. And that's the only real difference. Was it the first time that she was not a baddie? Or had she already... She'd been a kind of anti-hero up until that point. Uh, then she was in a coma for a long time. So it was the first time she was being used sort of heroically in a in a recurring role, I would say. And the movie kind of d- dances around, I would say, a lot of the time, anything too comic-specific. But there are a couple of references here and there, and they obviously there's like one pointed reference to uh, the Hellions, which was a, <laughs> yeah. a, a name that I recognise but couldn't tell you what they are. Yeah. Um, so in the movie, they, the Banshee says, oh, yeah, uh, you know, you need to move past losing the Hellions or whatever. So implying that she had run a team before and that they'd all died. Yeah, well, that's the Hellions were like the, the New Mutants' rivals in the comics. And right. they were run by the Hellfire Club, hence the name. And she was in charge of them. And they all got slaughtered by Sentinels. And that's how she ended up in a coma, was in that fight. Um. So part of her role in Generation X in the movie and in the comics was that she was trying to sort of shepherd the new mutant generation and do it correctly this time, having screwed up badly before. And 
I mean, and again, I'm pulling on like really like loose threads of X Men knowledge <laughs> in my brain. Hadn't Magneto at one point taken the New Mutants under his wing to run? Yeah, but that was because Professor Xavier was in space. Okay, and was Emma Frost involved in that? Uh, again, I think that was the same era when the Hellions were hit, were the team's rivals. Right. Okay. I mean, X Men is confusing. <laughs> but so I guess it's, it's to take all of that back to the TV movie essentially is what's happened what they've done is gone let's just take a concept from X-Men and make a show out of that but I'm just because I'm, I'm curious like I have no idea about the genesis of any of this but just why in 1996 you end up with a Generation X TV show. Why don't you end up with uh why don't you end up with a with an X-Men or a New Mutants? Well, or I kind of I, think I would those have other to, teams? Well, god sorry, go on James. Yeah. The two there are two reasons I think this is. I think they probably had a proper X-Men movie in development by this point, or at least they were hoping to have so they didn't want to waste their good characters on it. Yeah. And secondly, I think in terms of the central metaphor of the X-Men or whatever, having your, you know, if someone says Dawson's Creek but with superpowers, and it's got the X-Men license, you go, let's give right, that a shot, okay. right? Maybe not so obviously in 1996 or whatever, but certainly certainly now it's all over the shop. I, th- I think there's there's an element of, of risk as well because, you know, this is a pilot for a TV series. Yeah, You've got yeah. no idea if it's going to be successful or not. Yeah, don't, don't waste your good characters your on good it. characters at it. And hey, look, they were proven right. Could you imagine this show... <laughs> trying to do Cyclops and Storm and Wolverine and Colossus. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, in, the, in the first scene, I wasn't sure whether whether Emma Frost was Storm when she used mm. her powers, because I was like, what's going on she here? she had some, Storm's powers for one scene, yeah, for some reason. Some, yeah. someone, someone turned the fans on, um, and there's some paper blowing She, she has telekinesis, it's, you know, it's nothing... Nothing yeah, outside the, the range weirdest, of her abilities. That's the weirdest way I've seen telekinesis manifest <laughs> yeah. on a movie or TV show. We should talk about. We should definitely talk about the the way that the powers are depicted on this show, and yeah, it's to an extent <laughs> it is beating up on something. You know, it's it's like you know, stop, stop. It's already dead. <laughs> well, but, it clearly didn't have the money, did it? Like that's yeah, the, that's the problem here. But it, it didn't have the money, but then... It, I, I <laughs> or imagination. Think, yeah, that's it. I don't think it had the imagination either, because I think you could you could try and work around this somewhat. Like, so we've got... I think Banshee uses his powers twice. Mm. Yeah, uh, he uses them right at the end. Yeah, you're, I think you're, you're about to hit on something that I noticed right at the very end of the film. Um, Which is that no one really uses their powers more than about once, yeah. or, or maybe fairly, twice. I, unless, I, unless there was a point where I wasn't looking at the screen because I was busy tweeting about how bad it was. I'm not sure Jubilee uses her powers at any point after the arcade scene. Uh, she uses beginning. them once. Yeah, she okay. uses them once. right at the end. But I love that you've got... There are two scenes later in the film that you expect would be scenes where they use their powers. And they're both scenes where they're... Um, they're out in the town when they're like they encounter the stereotypical bad kids, and um, there's the one in the like the where they're in the cafe, 
and like they're all deliberately not using their powers at that point and the only one who uses his powers is mondo whose powers are not visible because unlike the version from the comics he doesn't visibly turn into the <laughs> thing that he takes the properties of just if he touches a rock he becomes quite solid so they don't have well, to show I mean, that so he uses it and then when they're at the fun fair later um m uses her super strength to punch uh the the game at the at the fair but otherwise they pretty much don't use their powers in that scene either. But that's what's amazing about this about these mutants is that most of them, the powers aren't visible. So yeah, M basically, apart from like a little bit of strength, mm. not visible powers. Um, buff. There is one scene. That where one scene. <laughs> oh my! Where, where all of a sudden from the back they just get like a, a a bodybuilder, and I'm pretty sure it's a man to double for her back. Uh, but but is is never it just through her clothes just looks. But just looks normal. They could have they could have put padding under yeah, the clothes. They don't, they, they don't put padding underneath her to hint at it, and then all of a sudden she's like twice the size. For that I mean, it's weird thing. as well because that that concept for the character is probably one of the best ideas this film has. Yeah. In that it's a classic X Men setup of she's got these powers, but they you know she sees them as a curse and also it's really like strong on the metaphor it's okay. of, so yeah it's a metaphor for body yeah. is changing yeah exactly which is at. like it's, let's not forget yeah. <laughs> that's the central metaphor of x-men and that's what this film should be leaning hard into yeah and occasionally every so often you think that it is you every so often you think oh it knows what it's actually about is the metaphor it knows that it's it knows that the stories it should be telling are about the kind of the mutants feeling ostracized or abandoned or different. Um, and every time you think that it's remembered that, it goes off and just does <laughs> some boring shit for the next 10 and minutes. All, and also, yeah. it's they hard in a dream to do chair. that with characters who are such assholes that you don't care about them. So, you know, I, I don't feel <laughs> Even assholes can feel ostracized. Being ostracized and isolated because they're not nice people. Yeah, <laughs> they, yeah, that's <laughs> they're like we but don't I, hate you because you're a mutant. We hate you because you're a dipshit. I I also think it's it is kind of, and it's like it's almost as a consequence of the fact that the heroes aren't very likable, that they have to keep making the villain worse and worse. Like it's not bad enough that you know he just is a villain who wants to take over the world or whatever. But just as the film goes on, they just keep making him like creepier and creepier um, to the point where at the end of the film, he's happy to be killing and also possibly sexually assaulting children. It's just just they just have to lean into making him even worse, because if he was in any way like remotely charismatic or likable, he'd be more likable than the heroes. <laughs> I think so they, they have do to sort remind of, you that he's even worse. They do sort of struggle with the fact that he is the only thing in this movie that resembles fun. And I'm not yeah. saying he is fun, but it certainly resembles I think, fun. <laughs> I think he starts out because, you know, I, I, I've kind of alluded to it before, like I, I like Matt Frewer when he's on the right side of just being restrained enough. I don't, you know, I, you know, I've seen him in lots of things, and I do generally like him in things. But and at the start of this, I thought, oh, okay, Matt Frew is playing the ridiculous, over-the-top villain. That's the kind of thing that he does quite well. He'll probably provide most of the fun of this film. But then, by about fifteen minutes in, it was just, oh no, too far. And then just <laughs> well, and, for the rest it, it... of the film, he was like that. And it doesn't it doesn't fit with everything else that's no, going the, on. Yeah, it's the like... tone of the film is so completely different <laughs> from what he's doing. Yeah. 
And then and and his plan, you you would think that it, again, if this is a pilot, that your your villain's plot should be fairly simple. Just introduce that there's an evil guy who's going to keep popping up throughout the rest of the series. Um, and and just make just make his kind of like plan very clean, which is maybe he felt like he got screwed over by Emma Frost a few years ago. He wants revenge on her, and that is part of this. But there's also part of it that he is using some kind of technology that is maybe that is mutant related to be able to exploit. What did I say? Free market. Mind control. <laughs> he uh, like he wants to subliminally advertise. <laughs> yeah, the, the advertising stuff. <laughs> yeah, because and again, because all oh, mutants right. have some degree of telekinesis, he's able to do that. Okay, and can... it, it, by experimenting on mutants' brains. Right. Do we reckon that there was a genuine product placement arrangement between Sega and this movie? Because it specifically names Virtua Fighter as one of the products that he's doing his subliminal messaging in. We see Jubilee playing Virtua Fighter, and we see a Sega logo on the machine. Incidentally, did anybody else clock that in that arcade scene there is an X-Ben arcade machine in the background? No. (laughs) Thought that was a nice touch. Um, But yeah. the Konami one. So, so like, they, they are specifically... They haven't made up a game. They are specifically referencing Virtua Fighter, and they're specifically showing it. But if it's a legitimate, and I checked, like, because they mentioned some other companies, and there's one that's called something like Slick Lips. Don't Google that. Don't Google Slip Licks, uh, sl- Slick Lips at work. Or that. Um, yeah, because that, that's not a real product, except it is, but it's not what they're talking about in this film. Um, but yeah, so is there a genuine product placement arrangement? Because if so, how does that reflect well on Sega that this movie is saying, we successfully got people to play this video game by this villain? Um, like hypnotizing them with subliminal messages. I have a feeling they just went ahead and just picked out Virtual Fighter and just referenced it and hoped nobody would notice. But it's it's just really bizarre that it's a real thing. And as I say, I, I would love to know if that was actually a genuine deal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who knows? But yeah, it would it would be very strange if it is. But yeah, so his his plan starts out as product placement. And then he becomes aware that the people in his company don't actually support the next stage of his plan, which is, and this is where the dream stuff comes in, and we're going to get into the dream (laughs) stuff, that mutants, because they're telekinetic, enter some kind of dream world, and that there is a door in this dream world, and if you go through that door then you kind of get access to omnipotent superpowers of your own and then yeah and then you can and you can kind of monetize the dreamscape because you've got the power to control that world and it is ready player one at that point <laughs> i think at the moment though everything is ready player one um in my brain ready player one is everything yes <laughs> um but yeah it, it 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 makes so little sense other than it you kind of just got the idea that the director said oh could we do a I, do you remember our director nightmare on elm street could we have the final showdown being on the dream in the dream plane or something and they go yeah 
okay, okay. I guess. I mean, it does sort of feel like the villain needs to be attacking them because they're mutants or something like that. That is the theme of X-Men. Like, I don't know what this, like, anti- or pro-capitalist thing is. Like, I don't know well, where that stuff came from. But there's the capitalist stuff, but then he gets removed from the company. So it's not... It isn't that he wants the... It, it, like, the, the the kind of the free market stuff doesn't hold any water because he's not actually interested in that. He's always yeah, been true. experimenting on mutants. He's driven by that. And I think the only explanation is bit of a nutty guy, likes slicing up mutants because it's fun and has a specific <laughs> grudge against Emma Frost because she shouted at him once and made the paper blow in his face. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 weird. And yeah, all of that dreamscape stuff doesn't make any sense. I'm going to ask you a question now. I think I know the answer. But all of that dream stuff has no basis in the comics, right? None whatsoever. Is there any... So what? there is kind of like other planes of existence that the X-Men go on to, isn't there? There because is. It, there's the astral plane. Which yeah. is like a, you know, a mindscape that telepaths can enter. Is that where, like, magic transports to him? That's Limbo, which is... That's Limbo. An, yeah, an alternate dimension. I was also aware of Limbo. <laughs> yeah, is the, is the astral thing where um, uh, Scott and Emma had their psychic affair in Grant yes. Morrison's new X-Men? Yes, yeah. it is. Okay. I read that. <laughs> or maybe I read just that. Well, that's, it's kind of weird. Like, you would think they would just call it the astral plane in this, and I think it is intended to be the astral plane. But they say dreamscape because that's more familiar. Yeah, yeah. And 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 Matt Furrier can run around there doing, <laughs> being being a cut rate um, Freddy Krueger. I've also noticed um, <laughs> just by they do name scrolling... check Freddy Krueger at one point. I don't know if you caught that. Oh, do they? Yeah. Probably. Uh, early I think on I'd... in the film, he makes a reference to Freddy Krueger. Uh, I'd probably fall asleep. I did just notice, by the way, that. Um, Matt Frewer voiced Lloyd Christmas on the Dumb and Dumber animated show uh, <laughs> that was on TV between 95 and 96. So maybe he was just in a very in Jim Carrey well, headspace. Is, as I say, I mean, we, we talked about it before, like, you know, you, it is unfair to just say Matt Frewer based his whole shtick on Jim Carrey because Matt Frewer was doing that shtick before Jim Carrey came along. But I think in the mid-90s, when being Jim Carrey had become, like, the most popular thing you could possibly do in entertainment, <laughs> he probably leaned into the fact that he was capable of it in order to get work. And I have no doubt that, for, especially when you bear in mind the plot, and, you know, it's a shame we haven't done it on the podcast yet, I'm sure it's coming up, um, you know, even his plot and the fact that he's working with a business owner who doesn't want to do his mad plot involving subliminal messaging... It is basically the plot of the Riddler in Batman Forever. Um, <laughs> and he is performing it exactly like... And as I say, it's not even just, oh, he's doing a Jim Carrey impression. He is very specifically doing a Jim Carrey as Edward Nygma impression. It's it's unquestionable. Yeah. Like, I, I, I cannot fathom that it wasn't on the minds of both the actor and the director <laughs> in every one of those scenes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did, did Generation X have any iconic villains of their own? Or yes. were there any villains that, yeah, they ended up facing off more against? So I think your standard Generation X uh, villain is Emplate, who is uh, Monet's brother, 
And he's basically like a weird psychic vampire who exists kind of out of phase with our uh, dimension. And he has to temporarily come to our dimension and feed on bone marrow from mutants to survive. He's a better character than that sounds. Uh, You can understand why they didn't do him in the movie, because a lot of effects work involved in that. It sounds pretty creepy. Oh, it's very creepy. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I just I, I just wondered whether they could it just it just feels like a really weird middle ground of a thing where it is based on Generation X and it has characters, but it kind of doesn't actually want to do any of the X-Men stuff. Do you know what I mean yeah, by that? I mean like I think if I was doing a Generation X movie, and obviously I've spent the last twenty two years thinking about how I would do it, <laughs> um I would use someone like the Friends of Humanity as the villains. Because that's the easiest way to do, like, a cheap X-Men villain. It's just they're human bigots who hate mutants because that's what they do. And they've got an organisation, so there's tons of them. And you can, you know, there's no reason Russell Tresh couldn't have been a friend of humanity. Yeah. But obviously they, you know, went another way with it. Yeah. Um, uh, It's... It's a strange, it's a, a strange, strange thing that you, that we have been subjected <laughs> to watch. I was going to say, like, the th- the reason I kind of, I mean, obviously I remember it fondly because when I watched it, I was, you know, 14 or whatever, originally. And, not, you know, it was a big deal for me to see the X-Men doing a live action version on screen. Um... I think part of the reason I still kind of have any residual fondness for it is because it's still the only live-action version of the X-Men that has done the X-Men concept. Because, like, in the movies, what you're essentially seeing are the teaching staff of the X-Men school. Yeah. And in every other live-action version, there's no school to be Mm. seen. And this is the only live-action version of the X-Men that has gone... Teenage Mutants in Training. You said Teenage Mutants again. (laughs) Again, in fairness, um, that was a reference to the X-Men when it was made. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I think part of me would still like to see this version of the X-Men done. And I can imagine a TV series in which, you know, it's set at the school. It's about a group of kids who have just discovered their superpowers working out their teenage issues. But this is, uh, this is, I feel like, what we have said uh, for as long as we've been doing the podcast, which is that with the X-Men concept, Fox have something that has MCU-sized potential yeah. in their hands <laughs> and, and have just... Squandered it. Yeah, well, they, they've neglected to do different things with it. That You're right, we haven't seen a film, really, where... Because, I mean, like, Rogue is the um, really the only student who we see much of. But we see her before she comes to the school. And it's not her kind of being a student at the school that's important in the first X-Men. And as, the, as that franchise progressed, it cared about her and the rest of the students less and less. Yeah. I mean, I um, guess First Class is but, probably the closest we get to it. And also, sorry, that scene in uh, Apocalypse where the teenage kids go out on the town. But, again... First class, as much as I love that movie, 
they don't recruit those kids until halfway through, and they're, they're, <laughs> and then they mostly just of, stand around. Uh, well, they they do a montage at the school really where they train them, and then mm-hmm. it's and then it's out and about. And the same with Apocalypse that like the school is destroyed five minutes <laughs> after they all get there, and that's and that's about it as well. And w- what I'm saying is, which we've we've said multiple times. Imagine an X Men universe where you don't have to do Xavier and Magneto six times, mm-hmm. where you have a main X fran- an X Men franchise where maybe Professor X does die and disappear for three, four movies, and then and then comes back at some point later because he's been gone for long enough that you can do that, and maybe you have. Yeah, you do. You have your X Men team, and you have your New Mutants team, and then you have Deadpool and X Force, and then you have this. You know, and then you have like certain mutants going off on their own adventures. And what you've got there is a a much more natural crossover scenario than the MCU has, where they kind of have to like really like, think <laughs> of reasons to get these characters to cross to cross over and be interacting in the different movies. Um, you know, it makes sense that the mutants would all kind of come across each other from time to time because they're in this subset of the world. And yeah, yeah, I think you're right. It is. It's a shame that the X Men movies hasn't looked at this concept of kids in school or pupils and teachers, um, and given them kind of equal weight because that's where the metaphor is the most ripe, as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's weird actually because the the movies tend to run with the the civil rights aspects of the sort of X-Men metaphor. But for me, that's not the strongest part because it's like, who, who discovers their race when they become a teenager? Mm. Like it's an aspect of the X-Men, but I think the, the most prominent and most interesting is like X-Men as a metaphor for sexuality. And you know, that aspect of, of of life rather than the the idea that you will encounter racial prejudice because you have a slightly different genus yeah and and again the movie generation x hints at that from time to time and you wonder that if it had become a series that maybe they could have settled into a groove where they're interested in a group of teenagers who are growing up and coming of age and like grappling with with all of those issues and grappling with that metaphor. Yeah, uh, well, that, those couple of scenes where they are just hanging around the school are, for me, the only part of this that hold up in any real way. And, like, that that fight they have on the football pitch before Banshee breaks them up. Yeah. <laughs> like, that, for me, that's as close as this film comes to realising its potential. And that's, you know, to say, with all the love I have for it, in nostalgic terms, not very close. So I was just, I, I, I can't believe I hadn't looked this up before, but I was, I remember thinking early in the film that I was quite surprised that maybe while not so much from the outside, the inside of the... Oh, <laughs> I know the fact you're going to uh, bomb yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you already know this? Yeah. Joe. But Joe, do you? 
Uh, only because I'm looking at it on Wikipedia right okay, now. Okay, yeah. So I just remember <laughs> thinking, oh, at least it d- does actually look quite like you would expect Xavier's School to look, and that's because it is the same one as in all of the films except for First Class. Yeah. <laughs> so it is actually the proper <laughs> Xavier. Also, the one that's in Scott Pilgrim, also, too, right? also the Queen Family Mansion and the Luther Mansion from Smallville. <laughs> yeah. Basically, um, it's a big mansion close to... Toronto, probably, is it? Uh, yeah, it's in Ontario. Yeah, yeah there you go. Let's, uh, no, it's in, no, it's in British Columbia. Okay. Um, yeah. North America, not overflowing with, like, stately homes. No. The and same, the like the same, the same way that England is. <laughs> On, uh, you, you, you can't move for a stately home. Full of fucking castles, in the words of it. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many castles. Leeds Castle isn't even in Leeds. It's bonkers. Um, <laughs> I live, I live just around the corner from Wayne Manor. That's exciting. <laughs> um, and then, I, I guess as a closing point, this was the last X Men TV thing that really happened until Marvel and Fox made friends again a few years ago. And we yeah, got, having, I mean, at that having point, already we... dismissed Mutant X, yes, it was. <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> and and, it's... and not counting cartoons because we had things like evolution in the wake of the yes, movie. yeah. But so so what happened with this and mutant X? What what do you guys know? Was it mutant was it mutant well, this, X? Was just this a totally was... different thing. No, but I mean, in terms of being able to make these and then for the best part of fifteen years not being able to make these TV shows, I think what happened was in order for Fox to make. Marvel uh, TV shows they needed some kind of permission from Marvel and obviously in the 90s and when Mutant X came out even uh, Marvel, Marvel were just like Marvel, yes, well, Marvel Studios wasn't a going concern until mm. you know 2008 or whatever so yeah you know that's that's what happened here is that the, these properties predate Marvel doing their own TV stuff film and TV so you- stuff so you've got Generation X where basically they were able to make it because Marvel didn't care. So you, when you get to Mutant X that Marvel starts to go, hmm, maybe we should care. Don't actually call well, no, I think I think even no, then... M- Mutant X is the other way around. Mutant X was Marvel doing a thing that they... That because, because yeah, it was, oh, it was Marvel yeah, and Fox like, TV. Marvel and Fox yeah. TV doing a thing and Fox movies going like, you are nope. treading on our X-Men stuff. Get the hell off our lawn. Yeah. Because, you know, by that point, the X-Men movies had become successful. It wasn't, you know... And I imagine the legal problems with that contributed to them not doing another thing immediately. And then by the time they maybe looked at it again, you know, in the sort of fallow years after X-Men 3, by that point, Marvel was like, well, you know, maybe we don't want to allow our competitor to exploit our properties that we would rather have back. So that's why X-Men TV sort of disappeared for a while. Yeah. But now it's back. Legion. Legion season two coming back in a couple of days. Yeah, and that's about as connected to the X-Men as Mutant X was. <laughs> uh, James. Never change. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, do you guys have any comics you want to recommend on the back of Generation X? <laughs> can, I, can I get in first so I can recommend the thing that I know James wants to recommend because it's the only thing I can think of that... Do you, I know what you're going to say, but say it anyway. 
uh, James is responsible for me knowing about the existence of this. And uh, no, I was going to say no. No, you didn't buy me my copy of it, but I think you were there when I saw it for fifty p at, at a convention and said you need to buy this. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's the Generation X Underground Special from nineteen ninety seven. James. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, it's it's basically this bizarre one off thing. That it's like a lightning in a bottle thing that happened once, and what's baffling is that it only happened once. Um, but Marvel basically went, "Hey, we've got this comic that's you know supposed to be about you know that's like about teenagers in the nineties, and is supposed to be about you know realistic teenage characters. So instead of having like this comic be by people like Scott Lobdell, who I'm pretty sure Scott Lobdell has been a thirty five year old man since." <laughs> 15. Um let's let's let Jim Marfood do a one shot about Generation X full of short stories that's like it's kinda like a kind of um like an underground, underground comics, comics thing, yeah. with an X. Like well <laughs> with an X um <laughs> type type deal. And it and it's Jim Marfood as he was emerging, so kind of not quite at his peak, like because I think his peak was like around like two thousand, two thousand and one maybe. But certainly, like his style was still Jim Marfood Phase One rather than present day Jim Marfood that I'm not as keen on because he's gone a bit out there. Um, but it's it's just amazing. And James, you can talk about it more if you want because I know how much you, I know this is one of like your favourite comics ever. <laughs> to so to I, be I'm honest, sorry for stealing yeah. it off you. Well, but... to be honest, I wouldn't have thought to even mention it. Oh, okay. But Bye. since you, <laughs> since you've brought it up, yeah, it is brilliant, and it's like it's probably the first thing I ever read. Th- in American comics that was sort of, uh, you know, indie in any way. Cause you know, I'd been reading almost exclusively X-Men and then this is probably even one of the first times that I went, Oh, the person who did this is really good. Who was that? I'm going to look them up more. Mm. Um, and in that sense, it's responsible for me sort of branching out into other comics that weren't necessarily Marvel slash X-Men related. It's it's definitely one of the only times, certainly in in nineties comics, that I can think of where like someone who actually understands alternative culture has been allowed to create a comic at Marvel <laughs> or DC. <laughs> and I, I, I say what what baffles me is that there's nothing else like it because I mean I've no idea how it's sold. It's it's it, nowadays it's quite a known cult thing, and obviously Jim Marfood went on to become significantly more successful. So. In the wake of that, people went and sought it out. But I, if you look at it now, it looks like something that Marvel would publish now that would be a huge hit. I mean, not a million miles away from that. Um, oh, what's it called? Uh, the X Men thing, the thing that's a complete X Men timeline. Uh, uh, X Men Grand Designs. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's not a million miles away from that. While it's very different in what it actually is, like looking at the cover, I'm I'm reminded of of grand designs you know it's like now the idea of getting an indie darling to do a completely different slant on your property is exactly the kind of thing that that they're trying to do (laughs) well i mean it Um, it has it has the air of um has the air of like a fanzine mm, but it was official yeah i mean it's got it's got a story where bishop is basically shaft (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's like there's a seventies set story that's just yeah oh it's just brilliant. <laughs> it is it's James. really funny and it's really interesting. I would recommend anyone read it. I think it's on Comicsology too. 
James, do you want to add another recommendation on top of that, or is that good enough? I mean, if you were only going to read one Generation X comic, that should probably it should probably be that. Um, I would also like to recommend just the first maybe four or five issues of the original Generation X series, because I think those execute the the concept really well, and the artist Chris Bacalow when he was really good. Um, and you can sort of see where you know what the potential for this concept was by by watching by reading those. Um, I remember them very fondly. I'm not sure how much of that is because <laughs> you know I was a kid in the '90s and this was a you know a new X Men kids book. Uh, but I I always connected with Generation X a lot more than I did New New Mutants, and indeed any subsequent X Men in training books. <laughs> Okay, uh, so that thus draws to a close our our Generation X discussion. (laughs) Um, And stay tuned for the the end of the podcast, uh, because we've got another belter coming up on on our next show. I'm excited. I picked this one. I'll be apologising next week. (laughs) I'm not Um, apologising. You know, five minutes ago when I said never change. One day, one day we're going to do the Justice League TV show. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, think, then... I think given that we've done Nick Fury and we've done this, Justice League forms a holy trinity of the 90s bad TV <laughs> movies. And it's going to be so much fun to do that one. Okay, maybe let's leave it for a, for a little while. Then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so uh, we'll just be, just before we end the podcast, we will let you know what our pitch will be on next week's minisode, so that James and, and I can then forget by the time we get to the minisode next week. No, right. So this <laughs> this is your homework. Like just just try and think about it five minutes before the podcast. <laughs> just want to be like, what did what did Joe say the pitch was? I mean, Seb, you listened to the podcast three times, so you should <laughs> you should know what the pitch is. So this week, um, I'm giving you access to a time machine because I, I I don't want you to pitch me a movie for now. I want you to pitch me a 1990s superhero TV movie. And here's the twist here: it doesn't have to be good. What I kind of want is <laughs> I, I I want I want you to kind of tell me how your budget constraints are going to be worked around. I want you to tell me how, like I don't know, if you decide that you're doing a Fantastic Four TV show, I want you to tell me like how how you're going to make that work on the small screen, um, and you can get as imag- <laughs> as imaginative with that as you like. Or the human as some torch of those is replaced by. <laughs> I would do the human torch is replaced by a robot. Don't use up all your best ideas <laughs> before next week. Uh, yeah, so um, I think that sh- I think that should be pretty fun. Okay, I look forward to James winging that one next week. <laughs> no, I'm going to try this time. <laughs> James James lost last week. He he yeah. can't let that stand. Um, yeah, if you're enjoying the show, listeners, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM. Or your podcast app of choice, and you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. And we have a Patreon update. Yeah, so first we've got five people to thank. Uh, Woo, that's yeah. a lot of people. I know, it's a good it's been a good week. <laughs> um so thanks to Adam Musgrave, Martin Atkinson, Miles Burley, Josh Slater Williams, and Kyle Brackman. 
uh, we massively appreciate your support. Uh, we did put up last week. Um, I was joined by Reese to discuss the uh, Infinity War trailer. We talked for over an hour about those two and a half minutes of footage. Um, that's on Patreon. I think we're we're planning to put that up on the main feed at some point, aren't we, Seb? Uh, I know a couple of listeners have been asking, but we thought oh, have they? Would be oh, okay. In... <laughs> yes, <laughs> I've missed that one. Okay, yeah, we'll we'll put it. On. I, I wanted to give Patreon back as something because we yeah. have a few bonus episodes. But yeah, if, if people want to hear that on the main feed, um, I'll put it. Over yeah, there. why not? It was supposed to tempt people over to Patreon. To be fair, it worked. We got five new backers yeah. this week. <laughs> <laughs> and those, also, people, got to, those out... people got to listen to it in a in a timely fashion. Uh, everyone else will just be listening to it in a distinctly untimely fashion. Like, what, what are you still banging on about that Infinity War trailer? <laughs> we're also we're currently running our monthly Patreon competition where you can win um, two graphic novels. Uh, one is an Iron Man story from 2004, maybe 2001, that sort of time. Uh, and the other is the X-Men movie graphic novel which contains the an adaptation of the movie plus ah. plus a bunch of key X-Men issues and they're both out of print collections. Oh. Yeah. So um, I'm going to extend that- the competition until this episode is out. So if anyone feels like they want to get in on that, all you have to do is back at least $1 on Patreon and you can enter. Maybe maybe leave it a few days after the podcast comes out yeah 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 <laughs> at the very least um but yeah so we also be, because of those new backers um we've suddenly like we we set our, our goals for bonus episodes like 10 dollars apart and then we got a bunch of new backers and all of a sudden um we owe like four bonus episodes now so i know we've been talking about getting these ones done but um we are But it's Easter, gonna, weekend. it's Easter weekend and we're still going to sit down and go and, uh, when Joe's hung over from uh, going to a wedding this weekend and when we're all mm-hmm. gorged on Easter chocolate, um, we'll, we'll go away and do our individual. Uh, <laughs> um, so we've got, I'm going to do a thing about DC Reboot. James has got, James owes two actually because James drew the short straw and was first in the, the order. <laughs> uh, Joe's going to do his thing about Michael Giacchino. Um, but also, um, because I noticed that now we have uh, 46 patrons on Patreon, so thanks, guys. Um, but because of that, we're very close to 50, and I thought it would be nice to celebrate that landmark. So the deal is, when we hit 50 patrons, we will do a random draw of all of those 50, or 51 or 52, however many there are at that point. And one of you, no matter what level you back us at, we will send you a T-shirt. So if if you're listening and you fancy a t-shirt and you don't back us yet, help us get to 50. Uh, if you already back us, hope that somebody helps us get to 50 and, and you might yeah. get a free t-shirt. Just take your friend's credit cards and sign up for them. <laughs> and similarly in Please Give Us Money, um, yes. I'm still uh, still doing the fundraising for the MCU Marathon. Uh, it, it's pinned to the top of my Twitter feed. Um Head to Just Giving to support Parkinson's UK. That is happening on April the 21st and 22nd. Um, Less this month. Hang on, you're and... doing two days. That's, um, you should be trying to fit it in one, Joe. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> I don't have the eye of Agamotto, Seb. <laughs> but if I did, I would uh, I would fit it in one. Um, yeah, so that's, that's when that's happening. Obviously, the weekend before Infinity War is released as well. Wow, you're um, going to be sick of movies. 
if Generation X didn't destroy me, <laughs> then our next then, film will. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so stay tuned. A couple more seconds for that, listeners. Um, you can find more episodes of the show at cinematicuniverse.com. Uh, you can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter, at cine underscore verse. Uh, a, my Twitter feed is at Joe Cunningham 14. Um, you've got at Seb Patrick and at James Hunt, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not doing anything for charity, but if you want to send me some money, <laughs> we, we, we didn't shout have, out yours at the same time. We didn't have 13 other people with our name before we signed up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I used to have it something even more complicated. This is weirdly more on closer to brand. Uh, yeah, uh, and you can also send us an email to editorial at cinematicuniverse.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. In brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware of my power. Green Lantern's light! Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Green Lantern.